We're going to be turning in our Bible today to Matthew's Gospel, and we're going to be in Matthew chapter 16. Encourage you to get your Bible, and we're looking forward to uh, some time together in God's Word. And uh, we're going to look at a verse of Scripture that uh, many of you would know by memory, if not exactly what the Bible says, to quote it verbatim, but you'll at least know a good part of it. And I want to look at it as it relates to uh, our church and it relates to this special time of uh, worshiping together um, through media, through social media, through uh, recorded services, but not being able to assemble together. And so I hope you'll give your attention to the Word of God. I hope you'll take it seriously, follow along your Bible as we study. In Matthew chapter 16, I'm just going to begin by reading a single verse. Matthew chapter 16 and verse 18, where Jesus said, And I say also unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So Jesus makes a promise here, a declaration, that he is building his church, and he makes a great promise concerning uh, the fact that his church will uh, be victorious, that the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Before I pray, I just want to make this observation and application. Uh, in this time of, of upheaval in our world, not just in our community, not just in our country, but in our world, there are a lot of things that are of great concern to people, and, and I'm concerned about them as well. People have lost their jobs. People are concerned about their economic future. People are concerned about the threat of this uh, coronavirus and people are concerned about the loss of personal liberty and restriction as far as travel and meeting and and all kinds of things but there's also something that's very dear to many of our lives uh, that is being affected by this pandemic that many other people cannot relate to and it has to do with our church life that is so important to us. And so we're gonna look at the doctrinal and also the practical implications of the promise we have before us in this passage. Again, where Jesus said, upon this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And let's pray as we get into the scripture together. Father, we thank you again for your word. And Lord, we pray that you'd help us as we look into the scripture together. We ask you, Lord, that you would help us to hear what you have to say to us through the word of God. Help us to take it to heart. And I pray that you'd bless your word to our lives. And we'll thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, when we read this passage, uh, we're obviously drawn to the role of the church, the place of the church. In this passage in Matthew 16, 18, Jesus said, upon this rock, I will build my church. Jesus referred to the church 
as his church. It's not our church, it's his church. And we ask the question uh, as we get into the scripture, what is the church that he is referring to? And in case you've never um, heard this, it'd be good to kind of make a note of this. The, the word that is translated here in our Bible as church in the Greek is the word ekklesia. And the word ekklesia is a very interesting word and it has to do with a called out assembly. An ecclesia is an assembly. Hold your finger, if you would, there in Matthew chapter 16 and turn with me to the book of Acts, a little further over in the New Testament. In the book of Acts, um, there is a situation where um, there is a group of people that are assembling. It's not a church in the sense that we think of a church, but it is an assembly. And and I just want you to notice this and how it's used, how this word ecclesia is used to describe something other than just a congregation of believers. Look in Acts chapter 19, and we're going to read, read a couple of verses beginning in verse 39. Acts chapter 19 and verse 39, there was, a, there was an uproar at Ephesus. They were dealing in that city with the confusion having to do with the ministry of, the, of Paul and the gospel. And, and so in verse 39, it says, but if you inquire anything concerning other matters, it shall be determined in a lawful assembly. Now that's what our King James Bible says. It shall be determined in a lawful assembly. The word assembly, is translated from the word ecclesia, the same word that's translated as church. That's what an ecclesia is. It is an assembly. Oh. And here it is a like a governing assembly, a town hall meeting. In verse 40 it says, for uh, we are in danger to be called in question for this day's uproar, talking about the confusion in their city, there being no cause whereby we may give an account of this concourse and when he had thus spoken, he dismissed the assembly. There we have the word assembly mentioned again. It's a translation from the Greek word ekklesia. So when we say that a church is an ekklesia, or from ekklesia, and a church is an assembly, we're using it in a historical sense. A church is an assembly. Uh, over a hundred times in the New Testament, the word ekklesia is translated as church or churches over a hundred times. And almost every one of those times, the word church is used to refer to local congregation. Could be the church at Corinth, could be the church at Laodicea, could be the church at Pergamos, could be the church at Thessalonica, could be the churches of Galatia. It, the, the word, whenever you see the word church in the New Testament, it is the word translated from ecclesia, which is an assembly. Now, there are a few times in the New Testament where it refers to churches in general, the institution of the local church, but the church in the New Testament was used, the word was used as an assembly, an assembly of baptized believers. And when you think about it, most of the New Testament, the epistles of the New Testament was written to churches. 
The work of missions in the New Testament was done through churches. So I'm just introducing this Bible lesson by thinking about the place of the church. Now we're gonna make some personal applications about where we are in a moment, but I'm just laying kind of a groundwork. We're, uh, go back if you would please to Matthew chapter 16. And there again in verse 18 it says, uh, Jesus said to Peter upon this rock, I will build my church. Jesus started the church during his earthly ministry and Jesus is building his churches. Now, the church is not a physical building. It is a spiritual building. You know, we're standing here today in the building, the facility that the Mount Zion Baptist Church assembles in. But the church, this building is not the church. The church is the people, the church is the assembly. And so Jesus is not building a physical building, he's building a spiritual building. And if he's building a building, one might ask, well, what is the material that he is using to construct this spiritual building? And the material is people, but not just people in general. There's some specifics about the people that will make up this spiritual building. First of all, they're people who are saved. They're born again. Their faith in Jesus Christ has united them with him. And they've been scripturally baptized. In Acts chapter 2, it says about after the preaching of Peter on the day of Pentecost, that uh, they that gladly received his word were baptized, and the Lord added unto them, the church was already in existence, the Lord added unto them about 3,000 souls. They were added to the church when they were scripturally baptized. And so what makes up this spiritual building, this church that we are a part of, uh, it's, the, it's people. And Peter, in his epistles, referred to us, talking about the members of the church, the spiritual building, he referred to us as lively stones that built up a spiritual house. The church is a body. The church is a spiritual building. It's a body made up of individual members, just like your physical body has individual members, as mine does. Because the, you know, because the, so the church is a body. The church is a spiritual building. As a matter of fact, the Bible says in Ephesians 5 that it's a spiritual bride. Now, Let's, let's think about where we are today as members of our church or those who are uh, following these messages or sermons that are not necessarily members of our church, but we're thinking about the fact that we're a church family, we're a church body. Just because the body, just because the church may not temporarily be able to assemble, that does not mean we cease to be the church. We're not just the church because we gather in this place we're the church because the lord has added us to this spiritual building or the spiritual body so we see in this passage in matthew 16 the important role or place the church has there's a second thing though in this passage that i want to look at together in verse 18 we're in matthew chapter 16 and verse 18 where jesus said thou art peter and upon this rock i will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now, that's an interesting passage because not only does it talk about uh, the church, what the church is, 
but it says that the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So we not only see the place of the church, but also we see opposition to the church. The gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So there's going to be opposition, spiritual opposition to the Lord's churches. I think it's noteworthy that here in our text, Matthew 16, 18, we have the first mention of church in our New Testament. And the first mention of the church is in the context of spiritual warfare. The gates of hell shall not prevail against the church. Now, Jesus is clearly speaking here of the battle involving the church and the gates of hell. The gates of hell, obviously, speaking about spiritual battle, spiritual warfare, the forces of darkness. And it speaks to the fact that we are in a spiritual battle. All of us who are saved, all of us who are believers understand that we have a spiritual adversary. We have a spiritual enemy. And churches, whether many people recognize it or not, churches are at the center of this spiritual battle. Satan hates Christians. Um, he hates the fact that we belong to Christ. And as Christians and as members of local assemblies, we as believers make up the membership of the Lord's churches. And he hates Christians and he hates the Lord's churches. Satan hates Jesus. And Jesus is the builder and the chief cornerstone and the head of the churches. Satan hates the word of God. And the church in the, is the pillar and ground of the truth. Satan hates the worship of God. And churches are the primary place of corporate worship. I'm just saying everything about us would be something that Satan despises. We're followers of Jesus Christ. We belong to a church where Jesus is the head. Not only is he the head of the church and the builder of the church, but he promises to meet with us as the church assembles. We love the Bible. We preach from the Bible. We study the Bible. We want to live by the Bible. Satan hates the word of God. The church is the pillar and ground of the truth. No wonder Satan opposes churches. We worship God. We don't come together to entertain each other. We don't come together to be entertained. We come together to worship God, to exalt God, to honor the Lord, to lift up our voices and our hearts in praises to God. Satan hates the worship of God. And the churches are the primary place of corporate worship. So we are in a battle. We're in a spiritual battle. And the gates of hell are opposed to the churches and what the church stands for. So we see, first of all, the place of the church. Second of all, we see the opposition of the church. And then thirdly, we see in this text the triumph of the church, the victory of the church. Notice again what it says in verse 18. Thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. 
churches in New Testament times, if we use the Bible as our guide, in New Testament times, churches were sometimes scattered during times of intense persecution. As a matter of fact, let's just turn over in our Bible to the book of Acts. Acts chapter 8, and we'll just read, well, we'll read a few verses. Acts chapter 8 and verse 1 says, And Saul was consenting unto his death. That was speaking, of course, about the death of Stephen. And Saul, later to be known as Apostle Paul, was consenting unto his death. And at that time, notice the language, there was a great persecution against the church, which was at Jerusalem. A great persecution. And they were all scattered abroad throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Because of this intense persecution, they were scattered. And verse two says, and devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made great lamentation over him. As for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering into every house and hailing men and women, committing them to prison. Therefore, they that were scattered abroad went everywhere preaching the word. So here we see some of this opposition spiritual opposition to the church. But the result of this persecution and this um, church members being scattered abroad, the result was not the destruction of churches. The result was the multiplication of churches. Now turn, if you would, to Acts chapter 9, just a short while later, and let's just read one verse that illustrates this. Acts chapter 9. And verse 31, the Bible says, Then had the churches rest throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria and were edified and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Ghost were multiplied. Notice the plural word there in verse 31, churches. It's not, this is not one universal invisible church. These are local assemblies, local ecclesias. And they were in Judea, they were in Galilee, they were in Samaria. So, so the scattering of these believers, the persecution against the church, uh, did not destroy the church. It actually resulted in more churches. And so here in Matthew chapter 16, we're talking about in verse 18, the triumph of the church, the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Embedded in this passage is the promise of what we sometimes refer to as church perpetuity, the perpetuity of the church. That means the Lord's churches would remain. It's a promise. The gates of hell shall not prevail against the church. Uh, we see this uh, promise also in Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 21, where the Bible says, And unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. Now in Ephesians, that passage was given by inspiration in the first century. But what did it say? It says that throughout all ages, 
Christ would be glorified in the church, in his assemblies. And so this, the church, the church will be triumphant. The gates of hell shall not prevail against the church. You know, if you think about this, a, a stream of water, a powerful current of water sometimes will actually go beneath the surface, but it's not diminished because it's forced underground. It, it, it continues and will resurface. And that's the way, in, in a way, the way the churches are. Sometimes churches are persecuted. Sometimes churches are opposed, but the church will prevail. Opposition, here's an important thing for us to think about. Opposition from without cannot conquer the Lord's churches. There is no demonic attack, no spiritual warfare from without, externally against the churches that can conquer the Lord's churches. You know what weakens churches and threatens churches? I think you would probably already know this. It's things from within, it's carnality, it's apathy, it's indifference, it's the little bit of leaven of sin and compromise in the Lord's churches that threaten their existence and their influence. You'll probably remember this, but churches uh, in the book of the Revelation, we have direct communication from Jesus to his, to his assemblies, to these local congregations. And one of them was the church of Ephesus. And the church at Ephesus was rebuked because of their lack of love. Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee because thou hast left thy first love. And he said, if you don't repent, then he said, I can remove the candlestick. You know what would have resulted and probably did eventually result in the demise of the church at Ephesus? It wasn't the idolatry in Ephesus. We read about some of that a moment ago in the book of Acts. No, it was the, the lack of love, the lack of passion, the compromise, the indifference in the congregation. Please hear this today. It's not the idolatry of the world that threatens the strength of the Lord's churches. It's the compromise from within. The churches are promised victory. The gates of hell shall not prevail against the church. The churches are promised victory. Victory is a, in a defensive position or perspective as we stand for truth and against error, but also victory from an offensive position as we are commanded to take the gospel to the world. The devil will relentlessly attack us. We are to stand strong as the enemy attacks. He'll try to discourage us. He will try to discredit us. He'll try to defeat us. But greater is he that's in us than he that is in the world. And from a defensive posture, we have victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. But the churches are also to be on the offensive. Churches that are to be taking the gospel to the world. We're to be charging, if you would, charging the gates of hell. Satan is the God of this world. He, he has his place. He influences people. He influences various institutions, but he cannot withstand the offensive efforts of the churches through evangelism, through missions, getting the gospel out. So we have 
victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. So we see here the place of the church. We see opposition to the church. We see the triumph of the church. And how is this victory realized? Let me just point out a few things today. First of all, this victory is realized through prayer. Praying for one another. We're to pray for each other, especially during these difficult times that we're going through as a nation. Pray for one another. Pray for wisdom. Pray for wisdom for your uh, pastor, for, for other churches. Pray for wisdom as we navigate really through unchartered waters. Pray for other churches. You know, this difficult season that we're going through has given me personally a renewed appreciation for fellow pastors and churches. In recent weeks, I've had the privilege of speaking with many pastors from many parts of the country. And I see firsthand their great love for their people. Their, the shepherd's love for the flock that they lead. Men who are just seeking the Lord, who are wanting to know how to move forward, how to continue to meet the needs of the people. And I, and I just am encouraged by that. Pray, let's pray for other churches. Pray for one another. Pray that God would lead us and guide us. So how's our victory realized? Number one, through prayer. But second of all, from an offensive posture, through evangelism and missions. We're to take the gospel to others. Even though in our day, our movement, our travel, our communication, our con congregating has been restricted in many ways, we continue to be involved in getting the gospel out. We continue to see opportunities to witness people whose hearts and lives are being softened because of the uncertainty of the day that we live in. And through our church's ministry, through our missionaries, as we give, as we give to support the work of the ministry and, and missions, we're continuing to take the gospel forward, even though in some ways our, our activity, our congregating may be restricted through our prayers, through our financial giving, through our encouragement of the work of missions and evangelism, the gospel is still going forward. So how's our victory realized? Number one, through prayer. Number two, through evangelism and missions. But thirdly, through unity and cooperation. Because we're not assembling does not mean that we're not unified. We can actually become more unified by praying, by seeking the Lord, by encouraging one another. We may be separated for a time, but we're a part of the same body. And we have God's promise that the gates of hell shall not prevail against his church. Because we're not assembling does not mean that we are defeated. You know, we have every reason to believe that this time of testing, this time of unusual separation in some ways, that it will prove to make us even stronger as we love one another, as we pray for one another, as we encourage one another, as we seek to meet the needs of one another, as we seek to meet the needs of those in the community and those around us, 
as we seek to keep pushing forward in the cause of evangelism and missions, this can even make us stronger. I sometimes think about this as I've been challenged in the last few days about this whole idea of um, preaching and teaching in this manner, making uh, this time of worship available in our homes and through the internet. But I thought, what a blessing it's gonna be. And hopefully it won't be that long off when we can meet together again. I think meeting together again and singing and worshiping and shaking hands and praising the Lord together is just gonna be sweeter and more meaningful because of this time that we've gone to come together and are been separated and now we can come together as the Lord allows. So I just wanna encourage you today with this great promise from the scripture concerning our church, where the Bible says, Jesus said, Upon this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. You know, as we pray here in a moment, I just want to encourage you to thank God for his promises. Thank God specifically for his promises concerning his churches, even though they may be opposed in our Society, we see it some. In other cultures, we see it more. In history, we've seen it where great persecution has come. But even though they're opposed, he promises that the gates of hell shall not prevail against them. We're not strong because of our personalities. We're not strong because of our numbers. We're not even strong just because of our doctrinal stand, though that's important. We're strong because... The Lord is the head of his body, of his church, and it's his church, and he's promised to bless it. He, may we grow in these days in our love for God, in our love for his word, in our love for his work, in our love for one another, and with our faith that God is in control and God is in charge and God is victorious. Let's pray together. Our Father, as we pray today, I'm encouraged by your word. And even though circumstances have prevented us from meeting together, as has been our custom for so many years, so many decades, and we have these limitations still, Lord, we have your truth. We have your promises. And Lord, I'm encouraged today at the prospect of seeing you work in our lives, seeing you work in our families, seeing you work in our church, work through our missionaries, work through our evangelistic endeavors, and most of all, to see you glorified as we praise you, as we honor you, as we serve you. Lord, help us as a church family to grow in our love for you and your word and for one another. We'll thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.